0: This is the Definitely Uncertain Podcast brought to you by Goldrock Capital. Each week, we look at how high net worth families can improve their lives, decisions, and investments in a deeply uncertain world. We always aim to provide practical information, even if we can't offer
1: specific investment advice. Welcome everybody to the Definitely
0: Uncertain Podcast. My name is Darren Rockman and I am a partner at Gold Rock Capital, the 20-year-old multifamily office servicing high net worth families in Israel and around the world. And today on the podcast, I am joined by my partner and sometimes host of this podcast, David Ram. Hi, David. Hello. How are you? Great. Good to see you. Well, we we decided that this time we would take a slightly different tank and have a little bit of a chat about a topic which comes up very regularly amongst high net worth families, and that is hedge funds. And David is our in-house expert on the matter of hedge funds. So uh, we're going to unpack the, uh, the sector and our thoughts about that from the way we see it from the perspective here at Gold Rock. So, Dave, let's start with... Um, what you see is unique about hedge fund as opposed to other ways of,
1: of uh going long early investing sure uh so i would i would kind of uh, split it in between what a hedge fund is and how gold rock how we as a team perhaps uh try and utilize uh, hedge funds within our portfolio so a hedge fund basically is a investment structure which it is less regulated than a more of a mutual fund uh, investment structure. So they're allowed to do a lot more uh, different kinds of investing. They can take a lot more leverage. They could be much more concentrated. So uh, they have a lot more freedom around uh, the types of investing that they do. And they therefore are also much more uh, focused and suitable only for high net worth investors and not regular retail investors, are limited, at, in fact, uh, in the types of investments uh, they can accept. Uh, and the second component besides regulation is fees they're expensive they have a high management fee typically a one percent to a two percent range uh, on an annual management fee of their assets and on top of that they even share in the profits uh, of you know 15 percent 20 percent sometimes even more uh, than 20 percent of the uh, profits um, and rarely is there any kind of a hurdle rate rarely is there some kind of a performance, uh, uh, minimum, minimum is yeah. required to uh to reach before they share in those in those profits so if a fund just in general if a fund is, is able to generate 12% uh return in a year they're going to take about 2% or so management fee that goes down to 10 and then another 2% uh, another 20 20% sorry of the profits so 20 times 10% is another 2% so it goes from 12% down to 8% which is the net return to the investor. So they take 4% of the 12%. That's a pretty sizable chunk of the overall uh, performance. Um, So that's kind of what a hedge fund, I would say, is. Less regulated and a higher fee structure. Uh, The way we try and identify uh, hedge funds is to say, OK, I'm not only interested in making sure they make lots of money and do whatever they want. We want to make sure that they're doing things which is hard to do for us to do uh, on our own, and their, their fees that they're charging are are uh, justifiable. They're getting paid for a job that we cannot do and we cannot duplicate. That's kind okay. of how we our, our efforts. So, so b- before we sort of go, in, go into that,
0: um, let's just give this some context. You know, 4% on a you know, 12% return, uh, that's a third of the fees. If we then compare that, say, to a regular ETF, On the S and P 500, you're going to be paying there somewhere between 20 and 40 basis points. So, so you know, a quarter, a half a percent per annum. So, really, the difference between a hedge fund structure and you know what would be the probably the cheapest way of going into markets today can be three and a half four percent per annum. That's what the investors are going to be paying in a good case um, to the to the manager. And what that does really is it just really increases. The hurdle that a manager has to get over in order to justify his existence—that's
1: exactly right. I would even say that you know, if you just buy the spider, the SPY, uh, it's seven basis points. I mean, there's plenty of ETFs that are extremely cheap, and that's probably the most popular one out there is this is the SPY. Uh, and that's correct. I think I think that obviously it incentivizes hedge funds to take significant risk in order in order to get over that significant hurdle you just mentioned. And on top of that, in down environments, down market environments, if they have some level of correlation to the financial markets, they're already starting at a negative four percent or negative two percent in a, in, a, uh, in a non-profit share year. So they are way behind the, the eight ball. Sort of just gate. getting out the gate. Yeah, just getting out the gate, and that and there and therefore they have to have this game where they are taking outsized risk to justify the fee, and at the same time. Uh, mitigate downside when the markets don't work out the way they want them to. So the truth is that kind of is the reason why it's really hard to be a hedge fund manager, honestly. Uh, it's not as easy as it sounds. It's not as easy to perform well uh, in up markets and protect on the down. Okay.
0: And, you know, I, I think on the sort of fees question, the the you know, best illustration of that was obviously the Buffett bet, which happened in 2008. Warren yeah. Buffett famously made the bet Saying ten years of performance, I think that you know this that the stock market will be better than uh, than you know a given hedge fund. And of course he, he was proven to be right. And his argument was simply this question of how are you going to be able to beat the fees? And I think that we've probably seen a similar thing within the portfolio uh, and 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 funds that we track here at the firm where you know you get outperformance years but there are plenty of underperformance years and sometimes really disastrous years, uh, which offset those.
1: That's absolutely true. It's absolutely right. And I mean, uh, I would just add the funny thing, I think Buffett, uh, has in his will that after he dies 90% of the money goes into the S&P 500. So obviously he has a lot of faith uh in that instrument as a as a as a long-term uh value creator. In terms of um in terms of their abilities absolutely. So I mean I think the the focus that we spend our time on to make sure that we're getting our money's worth um in hedge funds is trying to avoid funds that are correlated to the financial markets and frankly that's got to be I would say, well over 50%, probably closer to 70 or 80% of the overall market. There's 10,000 hedge funds in the market today. The vast majority of the hedge funds in the hedge fund market have some level of significant correlation by design. Uh, And and that kind of reduces our market uh, that we're looking out there for for hedge fund opportunities. So we try and focus on areas uh, that are, in fact, by definition, by design, uncorrelated. So uh, a typical long-short equity fund, which is over half the market, would be rare uh, in a gold rock portfolio. It could happen, but it's rare.
0: So, you know, long short equity fund basically long a book of equities usually, um, mm-hmm. and then short either uh, an index or some specific names. Those those strategies were really built. Uh, you know, we're going back to the to the sort of eighties here. those strategies were built in order to do two things: one, uh, to reduce or dampen the volatility, so when mm-hmm. markets fall out of bed. They didn't get hurt as badly. And secondly, yeah. because these managers, many of them thought that they would be good at picking problematic, as good at picking problematic companies as if they were picking right. uh, uh, companies with, with, with a good outlook. Um, and, you know, I think that over the last 15 or 20 years, that strategy has become harder and harder and, and probably more than anything, certainly because there are so many hedge funds chasing those opportunities.
1: Yeah, I, I think that the, the those two groups are, are exactly right. What you said, which is the you know one is the damp volatility, and the second uh, category is what is what they call in the market the alpha shorts, meaning that they're doing single name shorts positions where they want to make money both on their on their lungs and on their shorts. Um, and we just saw that recently with that famous case um, with Melvin uh, Capital, which uh, was shorting stocks like GameStop. Uh, amc uh and others and they lost something in the neighborhood of nine billion dollars in a very short period of time uh, and the it's reason not bad for work exactly the truth is he, he made three billion dollars in partner capital as a result as well but that's a different story but yeah absolutely i mean that's a, that, was a, that was a crazy crazy story but at the end of the day uh when you dampen volatility like you suggested Darren which is okay uh, in the most um uh simple approach let's say a manager has 10 stocks that they really like and they want to make sure that they're only getting the value of the 10 stocks above and beyond a typical market performance. So they could take 10 stocks, put, a, put a $10 in each stock, they have $100, and they could then short the S&P 500 and short the whole market as well. And they can just isolate, so to speak, the value creation above the market. Uh, that is old school hedge funds, like you mentioned, from the 80s which is very hard to get working today uh, because the ability to create value above and beyond the market when a market is generating such high returns is very, very challenging.
0: Right. But of of course, I think we should caveat that because 2020 was one of those years where that strategy actually really, really worked. Um, Mm. And mainly because there was such disparate you know you, you when when all the markets move in the same direction more or less in the same way it's very hard to make money in the strategy you described but 2020 wasn't like that you mm-hmm. have this exogenous shock covid comes in you know hotels get get battered online e-commerce does incredibly well in a market situation like that hedge funds long short hedge funds actually can do quite nicely
1: yeah, because as you as you pointed out, when you have sector uh, dispersions, uh, which happens every year, but I think in twenty twenty it happened more uh, starkly in a few different sectors. And what the hedge fund guys have been doing, you know, I, I would just take a step back and say and say as follows: by nature, most hedge fund long short equity managers, and these are the guys who, who Gold Rock typically does not invest in, by the way, but those typical long short equity managers in hedge funds are value oriented, fundamental oriented investors. And what they've learned over the past many years, uh, five to ten years is that's a crappy, uh, unfortunately, um, strategy when the Fed has interest rates at zero and growth is being rewarded out in an outsized uh, way. Uh, and then what ended up happening over the past about five years or so, the successful guys uh, poured a lot of their funds into growth stocks. So when you walk into COVID, a lot of the large, long, short guys had massive positions in pretty crowded trades like Facebook and Google and Netflix and others. And those are the, what they call the stay-at-home stocks, the stocks that worked well when people were locked in their houses during, uh, during the pandemic. And uh, they were not so exposed to things like energy, airlines, you know, retail, et cetera, because that's more of a value-oriented play. Uh, and that really helped them. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, a lot of them are super smart guys, but a lot of them did really well by accident almost.
0: Right. Being in the right place at the right time, which, by the yep. way, is always a great strategy. If you can always be at the right place at the right time, hey, give us a call. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, if you sort of say, okay, we're going to exclude that maybe 70% of the market that's in the long short, sort of long short world, yeah. um, because you say, yeah that that i can get exposure through the, to that um through very very cheap very very liquid uh, etf or, or maybe even mutual fund uh, managers yeah. um what happens when you start to look at less um efficient markets uh you know markets like israel markets like emerging uh china places like that you know, is, is there a role
1: for long short in that market in your view yeah, it's a great question. So I think I think um, in general, whenever you reduce the amount of efficiency uh, that the hedge fund is trying to expose themselves to, that's where it can get interesting. And with a good track record and proof that they can actually execute well, that's where uh, hedge fund strategies and the fees that they charge start getting more worthwhile. So yeah, in markets in regions uh, uh, that are less efficient, Israel is a great example. Um, you know south korea is a good example where it's a it's a it's a market that re- respects the rule of law but yet it's it's uh, it, it's uh, unusual in a less accessed market or markets uh, like small caps or micro caps as well in some aspects uh, what i would also add is that you know there's other ways to, you can you can reduce uh, efficiency concentration is an easy way the s&p 500 is exactly that it's 500 companies um, the Tel Aviv 125 is 125 companies. So if somebody has 10 stocks in their portfolio and that's it, by definition they're going to have more uh, idiosyncratic risk, more idiosyncratic upside, and and therefore they're going to have an ability to outperform and frankly underperform as well in a much uh, in a much more meaningful because way. Because they have more idiosyncratic downside. Right. They can they 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 will move up faster and down faster because they're more concentrated. Leverage is another example uh, of how. Uh, funds can 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 increase the ability to get out of the efficiency world. So, uh, any place that they that they're avoiding what they call the tr- the crowded trades, um, which are very concentrated hedge fund positions, or they concentrate their book more, or they add leverage more. These are the kind. Or they focus in regions like you mentioned, Israel or other regions like that. That's where it gets a little bit interesting. Uh, and for us, th- that's what we try and identify. We try and measure historical performance of hedge funds to figure out, okay, let's analyze alpha, meaning outperformance above the market that we can easily access and invest in ourselves. So, if somebody's investing in Israel, I can easily access the Israeli market in a number of ways. How much alpha, how much value add above and beyond the market exposure that I could get myself is that manager uh, generating for his investors? Okay. So, now
0: let's move away to long short to that other call it 30 percent of the market sure. and and there I think uh, you know our strategy here at Goldrock has been to try and find those areas where we're getting really two things one is we're getting a non-correlated return. Mm -hmm. So moved away from financial markets, moving away from, you know, the way the equities move or the bonds move. And the second thing is a lower volatile return. So something that's maybe not predictable, but less likely to have sort of extreme outcomes. You know, the the return outcomes are, are, are tighter around a certain average. How difficult is it to find those types of strategies
1: out in the market today when there is so much money chasing return? Yeah, very, is, is the short answer. Um, and there's a short list of strategies. Well, one of the reasons why it's difficult is because I'm going to focus on the lower volatility, like you mentioned, where you have a tighter uh, return profile and an understandable return profile. The reason why that's been quite difficult is, first of all, with zero interest rate environment, those low volatility strategies also generate quite low returns. Um, so to, to pay, as we spoke about earlier, about a, a two and twenty or one and a half and twenty strategy where you generate twelve percent gross and it goes down to eight percent net in a very low return environment in a low volatility environment, it's even worse. You can generate five percent gross and then the manager is taking you know three of it. Uh, so you're left with two. Um, and so they'll say, oh well, you're getting two, you put the money in the bank or you, you buy a fixed income product. Uh, you have more correlation, or you have a zero return. So at least you're getting something for your for your money. But you're you end up taking a five percent risk and generating two and two percent, two and a half percent, whatever that may be. Or maybe That's a maybe hard. even great, or maybe even a greater risk because you know you have the lack of transparency. You don't
0: know what the manager is going to do. You have you know managers that have bad days and do stupid stuff.
1: Yeah, and and the, obviously with, a, with less regulation in the hedge fund space they have the ability to do a number of things which can increase risk dramatically like you're suggesting there and so that's that's something that you have to keep keep your eye out for um, but we try and identify strategies that either are outside uh, of the typical equity fixed income world uh one example I'll throw out one example is like insurance linked securities as an example which you know uh, which obviously has nothing to do with the stock market uh, another example could be things like commodity uh, futures, things like that, where you can have a strategy which is trying to do something either in the arbitrage world or in the uh, in the positive carry strategy, where they're trying to collect some kind of a premium, something of the, along those, those lines, where they're not really related to whether or not the stock market or the bond market goes up a lot or down a lot, and those kinds of strategies oftentimes have. A, an understandable uh, return stream but it is difficult to find ones that generate a reasonable amount of return for the risk you're taking as you suggested even the manager itself is a risk right so the, you want to take you want to get paid for the risk you're taking and not take financial directional financial risk that's not easy to do today in zero interest rate environment
0: Okay. So summing up to where we've got to now, the gold rock view, at least as it stands today, and you know, the, these things do change, but you know, we're in we're in early 2021, is if you can if you want directional risk, you're better off with a very cheap solution. If you are in a less efficient market, then yes, there's there's room for a long short manager that can take advantage of those inefficiencies. And where hedge funds fit into a portfolio uh very much is in the sort of non-correlated side where you're able to generate a return, even in down markets, and you're not necessarily gonna pick up as much as you would in, in, in up markets. So in a year like 2020, when stock markets really bolted ahead, that's gonna generate a return, but under what you're gonna see in other parts of your portfolio. But in months like February, March, where you know markets completely fall out of bed, you're not going you're going to have the security that, that these strategies are going to do okay so you know, w- with that in mind how do yeah. you see the role of a hedge fund in a high net worth portfolio you know what where, where does it where does it fit in what is it doing yeah. that other assets real estate private equity bonds equities uh cash are not doing
1: yeah so uh, that's a good question because there are, t- as I mentioned earlier, about 10,000 hedge funds out there, and every f- hedge fund is doing their own thing and associated with their own underlying markets. So, what we try and do it for a client within a portfolio is to try and provide value uh, to that portfolio. So, a typical portfolio, will have directional exposure to the financial markets, including equity and bonds. Uh, They'll often have directional exposure as well in in less liquid environments, like private equity or venture capital or things of that nature. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to provide a return stream uh, of both low volas you suggested, or even higher risk uh, uh, type strategies, where the return stream that the funds generate are not related to other parts of a client's portfolio. Uh, that's what we're really trying to do. Now, it's not easy to get that 100% right, and we're definitely—I would—I would even say that we're definitely not trying to provide a ballast, meaning a, a, an opposite uh, reaction to the to the markets, because that means you're basically losing money most of the time. So, we prefer to generate something that creates a return stream, but is not dependent on. Uh, a correlation to the market, but you'll have some correlation, hopefully as low as possible, but you'll have some correlation. And, and that's kind of what we're trying to do. So things that have zero beta or zero correlation, things that have uh, return streams that are maybe income related, that are not related to bonds, or things that have um, uh, the underlying is, is different than just a company or a piece of real estate.
0: Right. And and as you said, that those aren't easy to find. Where... Where do you find them? You know what, what? What are the what? What are the things that you do when you're out there? You know with your, My secret with your <laughs> the yeah. secret sauce, hunting yeah. with your rifle in the in, in the in the hedge fund jungle in Midtown, New York, or in Mayfair. Uh, you yeah.
1: Know. So I, I would say one quick thing about about you know the hedge fund market uh, from an investor perspective is that there are some investors that. Have about like someone of a responsibility to fill a bucket of, uh, of, of managers, you know, based on their job, which is, you know, if they're an institutional investor, they have to fill, you know, the quasi liquid hedge fund bucket up to a certain number of managers and they go off and do it. Uh, we don't have a responsibility to fill any buckets. We can, you know, we ha- we are driven by our clients' uh, portfolios, we're driven by our clients' interests, uh, and we try and provide value to those clients. So I'm not, I have no responsibility to do so. Uh, but what I do, in fact, try and uh, uh, do on the deal flow side is be as proactive and as thoughtful as possible. So going out uh, to events, talking to other like-minded investors, uh, primarily in the U.S. and the U.K., and trying to uh, identify uh, areas of interest, managers of interest. Uh, it does take a, a quite a bit of work, unfortunately. But uh, in terms of the results, I think we we you know the results are trying to create a portfolio of funds. Uh, that do exactly what we've been talking about. So it is not easy. As I mentioned, there are 10,000 funds. I also mentioned it's not easy to be a hedge fund manager. Uh, That's why they get paid the big bucks. So um, a lot of hedge funds come and go. Um, And a lot of hedge funds do really well in the beginning, and then as they grow, do a lot worse. So you have to kind of know the, the people you're backing, know the strategy that they're trying to create, uh, and, and really understand incentives. That's a very important part, uh, which we haven't really spoken about a lot, which is incentives drive uh, what the fund will do. Okay, it's economics 101, you gotta track how, why they get paid, how they get paid, etc cetera. Who gets and paid? we said no to a lot of funds that we don't particularly appreciate their fee structure, their liquidity uh, terms, um, how, they, how they make money in the fund versus their fees, it, there has to be a, a an incentive that's aligned with investors. And we've missed out on great funds, honestly, which have done really, really well. And we just don't want to be a part of a fund that where the alignment of interests are not there. And that's very important to us as well.
0: Yeah, so I want to pick up on two points you said, and maybe just expand on them a little bit. Uh, the, the the first one around this this incentive uh, point, you, very often we will see funds where the underlying holding of the fund is very very liquid, you know, regular sort of stocks. Yeah. Uh, but from an in, the investor in the fund has to commit uh, to leave his money in there for multiple years, and and you know we we very often reject funds like that on the basis that you know. There's no reason why, you know, the only advantage here is to the manager and you know, you're, you're effectively giving the manager an incentive to, you know, uh, really play with your money and, and collect up assets as long as possible. Um, very often they're, they're doing so in order than to sell off their business or parts of their business uh, to third parties. So, that, so that's sort of one uh, aspect of it. And the other one is the carry uh, structure, which is you know very mm-hmm. often uh, you know people you know, these funds are taking carry on an annual basis, and you know if they're holding assets that
1: have a long term hold, that's not necessarily in the investor's interest. I would even say just quickly on that last point you made, Darren, that I've seen many funds, and I would be honest uh, to say that a number of years ago we had a fund like this, which is which is unfortunate, that took carry quarterly. Um, so when you have a, a fund that takes carried interest profit share on a quarterly basis and they're very volatile. They move up and down very quickly. They can they can be up 10%, down 10%, up 15%, down 15%, et cetera. What ends up happening is that they're actually taking the profit share very, very often, every three months, which means they could literally make millions of dollars and then go down a lot. And then okay, there's a high water market, you have to get back up to that point where they they took profits, but you know, who knows if they'll ever get back there again? So,
0: well, you it, know, it's it's one of those it's one of those situations where either they win or you lose. Exactly, <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> right. So frequency of carry is important, and I, I want to get to the to the point where you made around uh, taking profit share every year, and they have a lot of illiquid, uh uh underlying holdings, which which is a major trend. I would say, which is, I have to be honest, I'm going to say I, I'm shocked. I'm actually upset, upsettingly shocked that it's happening again. This is something that was very prevalent in the hedge fund market prior to 2008, which was that hedge funds would invest in illiquid assets and then just assume nobody would ever redeem. Why would they, right? They're fantastic. Um, And uh, that was an unfair treatment and there was a thing called gates where they kept investors in the fund even when they wanted to leave or side pockets where they put some of the capital the investors money to the side in those illiquid assets, and they didn't know they had to do that. Um, and then after 2008, and so many hedge funds went away because they were creamed, and they, or they were frauds, or whatever would happen in those days. And then the hedge fund market started growing back up again. We're now back at a point when they're, they are uh, doing this uh, strategy where they're investing a lot of their assets in illiquids, and the reason why they have all illiquids, the Private power. equity,
0: venture capital, companies that are not
1: traded and not easily uh, liquidated. Exactly. So so think about if you're a, a, a technology-centric, uh, long-short equity fund in the hedge fund world. You typically are buying things like Google and Facebook and Amazon and whatever. Uh, maybe smaller companies and newer ones like Israeli ones like you know Wix and the, uh, Fiverr and all that fun stuff. Now, all of a sudden, they realize, wait a second, these companies stay private for such a long time, or perhaps they have information that the companies will, in fact, go public. Uh so they want to get in earlier, and the only way they can do that is with permission from their investors that they can go down uh, private and invest private companies that they can't trade in and out of. So when, when, when an investor invests and then decides for whatever reason to redeem his money, to get his money back out of the fund, they cannot get the money out of those private deals. So the fund has a few options. They can either sell down more liquid assets and give the investor all of his money back, or they can focus. They can um, uh, side pocket part of that money into that deal. So these are these are challenges. And I and I've, I've I often speak to, uh, to other investors in the hedge fund space uh, like us, and they love these funds. And I find it to be so so surprising, honestly, because I always say, you know, I'd rather have a venture capital investment, and I'd rather have a hedge fund investment. And my venture capital guys will get paid profit share once they actually realize, once they the actually very, very get exit yeah. and give me my, and give me my cut, my cash back. Once I get my cash back, then they take profit share, but hedge funds don't do that. Hedge funds never do that. Actually hedge funds only take profits whenever they take profits. And that is usually once a year, sometimes once a quarter, even. Uh, so every year, at the end of the year, they look at their numbers and say, I'm taking this profit now, even though they didn't sell the stocks, so you didn't redeem anything. So, uh, and to do that in venture capital is is very aggressive and what end up happening is you could you could be in one of those funds where they take a lot of profit share and then you have to redeem and they may be way down and that's it you you got yeah. you paid out a lot of profits without realizing any benefits yeah. so uh we try we, we would discourage anyone from doing to investing in those kinds of funds even though they look really attractive on paper
0: yeah and that probably leads into a discussion uh, about private equity and venture capital, but that's not the topic for today. And we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. Uh, Dave, thanks not. very much. Uh, that was uh, very informative, very a lot of fun. And um, we're of course happy if anybody's got any questions, uh, you can send us an email to podcast at And if you happen to have any suggestions for future episodes or topics that you'd like us to cover, again, uh, please be in contact. We love to get uh, feedback from our listeners from our growing group of listeners. And uh, you can also give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if you think uh, that other people might enjoy this. It's a great way uh, to get the word out. So uh, Dave, thanks very much.
1: Great, thank you. And everybody, we'll see you next time.